So um, since we're in our story, God's story, and Fred texted me yesterday morning and told me that I'm preaching today, <laughs> and uh, and it usually takes me a good it takes me a long time to write a sermon, um, and I didn't have a long time to write a sermon uh, yesterday, so I um, reverted back to Bible college sermon writing 101. What you need to do is you need to hook your audience with an emotional personal story, and I have one of those, so. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so that's what, uh, so that's where I win. That's where we'll start. And, and I want to, um, kind of, uh, show you how our story is always God's story, but I'm going to start with some, uh, some pictures and I'll just narrate a little slideshow for you guys, uh, talking about my life. Here's me in San Diego with my feet in the Pacific ocean watching the sunset. I grew up in Florida, um, and I love the beach and I grew up playing, um, Sports like basketball, baseball, soccer, golf. Um, I love to surf. I love all things beach. Um, And so I spent 30 years of my life with the use of my legs. And uh, I've spent the last two without the use of my legs. Um, So I'm just going to go through some slides and show you, um, I guess, kind of like some of my life before and after. This is um, actually down here uh, at College Creek. And that's where I would go and do my quiet time a lot with God, uh, read my Bible and pray and uh, kind of do my thing, and now I can't really get down there unless I have the help of somebody to carry me, like Jeremy, um, uh, and they'll carry me down there. But um, and there's me in Mexico. Me and my dad took a surf trip to Mexico. My dad's a longboard surfer, and uh, and that's me on a wave out there. And these waves, um, I'm used to, like, East Coast waves where you drop in and, the, and you're done. Like, that's the end of the wave. This wave is, like, over a football field long. And so I'm going on this wave, you know, up and down, up and down. And, like, by the end, I'm, like, out of breath. And I'm, my legs are tired. And I'm like, oh. You know, usually you're tired from paddling. And, but this way, I could just surf and get tired with my legs. It was awesome. Uh, what's next? There's me and Grayson. I'm instilling the love of beach to him. <laughs> Us running. Uh, here's me with the youth group playing ninja. Youth group and Sarah Osborne. <laughs> she looks like a youth, but she's there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's the game Ninja. We, we had a good time playing that. There's me in my awesome fashion sense. Um, you notice my skinny legs. They were always skinny. Uh, they're getting skinnier. But the, um, my, I found some cut-off jorts in the uh, je- jean shorts. Jorts. Um, I found them in the youth room down there, so I put them on, you know, as you do. And I took my picture. Um, what's next? Uh, there's me and my family down by the river again. I have a beautiful family, if you guys didn't notice. <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, there's me snowboarding. Well, there's my foot, and I'm on the ski lift. <laughs> um, I learned to snowboard when I moved here because uh, it's re- I'm not a fan of cold water, um, but you can surf in the snow kind of and s- snowboarding, and I had a good time. I learned. Um, so that's me on the lift. Uh, there's me and Eden dancing. Um, and it's funny how they, um, they think about things like, you know, since the accident, um, Olivia's had some moments where she comes to me crying and I, I don't, I don't know why are you crying. Um, and it'll be something like, how are you going to walk me down the aisle? I'm like, why are you thinking about this now? <laughs> uh, well, we'll figure it out. Um, um, so that's me dancing with Eden. What else we got? Oh, there's me in Mexico. We've done, um, four mission trips to Mexico. Um, as a youth group church, and um, three of those I was walking, and one of those I was in a wheelchair. Um, so uh, I can still go to Mexico and still play with the kids and have a good time. I, I love it there. It's like a second home. Uh, here's me schooling some young Mexican kids on how to play soccer. You see that kid? He like lost his grip. Like I juked him out so bad that he fell and getting back up. And I'm barefoot and flip flops. Um, what else? Here's me cooking dinner uh, in my nice apron. <laughs> oh, what else? oh, here's uh, me on the four-wheeler. Um, my family, um, this was at Thanksgiving, and we all get together, and they're a bunch of rednecks with four-wheelers. Uh, so, so we rode the four-wheeler. And that's when, um, Olivia, I don't know if you remember when we flipped that thing over. Um, <laughs> I was, it was just soft sand, and, um, and I just made a turn. It wasn't like I was doing anything crazy, but the thing, like, caught in the sand, and it, we were, like, tipping. And so I was like, I can either correct this really quick or I can save my daughter. And I, so I threw her, like, off of the, the four-wheeler before she was underneath it. Um, and then it fell, and I flipped it over, back over, and we went off. And I was like, Olivia, do not tell your mother that I just did this. 
<laughs> Don't tell Robin. So I will get in a lot of trouble. So um, what else? Here's me wrestling in the river with my kids and my niece and nephew. Um, they all just climb on me and we wrestle. We still do this, except I'm not standing up. <laughs> um, this is the day before the accident at Grayson's birthday party um, at uh, Inflation Nation, Bounce House, whatever. So I think I got um, a good last day out of my last day of using my legs because I was bouncing and wrestling and running around and doing all kinds of fun stuff with my kids. And so that was uh, March 5th, 2011. And then March 6th, 2011, after church, um, my life changed forever. Uh, it was a rainy Sunday. Uh, I live in Tawano, so I was on I-64 heading home right past the Croker Road exit. Somewhere along there, between there and my exit, uh, my car hydroplaned, uh, flipped over, hit a tree. You can see where the tree hit the roof, did it in. Um, and I immediately couldn't feel my legs. And so um, I knew my life would change from that moment on. Uh, they took me to the hospital, to MCV. Um, go to the next one. And I remember, like, everything during that day until they gave me pain medication. Um, and, and you can see, like, I'm on pain medication there. I'm making silly faces, and I don't know what's going on. Um, like, really, like, I remember everything, but they couldn't give me pain medication because they needed the doctor to come check out and see where I was injured, the neurosurgeon guy. Uh, but then they gave me pain meds, and I don't remember anything for, like, three days. Uh, it was good stuff. Um <laughs> All right, next one. Uh, and that's my scar. When, uh, the day after the accident, they had to do surgery to fix my back. I had three um, broken vertebrae. One was, like, twisted sideways, and two of them were uh, fragmented, broken and stuff. Um, I, so I have a, a, a T10-level spinal cord injury, meaning from the T10 vertebrae, uh, I'm a complete injury. That means I don't have any feeling or movement below that, which is about two inches below my belly button. I can't feel or move. Um, but that's my uh, back. I have a uh, tattoo on my back of it says victory uh, in Jesus. And I just thought it was a good testimony that my scar is actually like part of the thing because Jesus is still winning. It's still uh, part of my story, and, and Jesus still has the victory. Next slide. What else? And this is me uh, with my kids. This is in recovery when um, before I went down to rehab and they came to visit. Um, but, you know, this is a, um, I'm still alive. I may not, you know, it, everything's different now. Things are changed, but I'm still alive. My kids still have their dad. Uh, what's next? Oh, this thing was awesome. This thing on my head. It's, a, um, it's like a hair wash thing. Um, they ha- it has like shampoo and like a sponge and warm water in it. And they put it in the microwave for like a minute and it gets real hot. And then they put it on your head and they just massage it. You can see the lady with the glove massaging it. It felt so good. It was like, it was awesome. Like I wish I still had those. Like I would use those all the time. Uh, nice and warm and the massage. Oh, it's beautiful. All right. Uh, this is me in rehab. That was like actually I think my first time outside since the accident. Um, they were showing me a car, a vehicle with um, hand controls on it to show me, like, what I would be doing. Um, but that's – you see my shell. That's um, kind of like a cast, you know, until I was healed. I had to wear that for six weeks or so. Um, that's me in my wheelchair. And uh, this is our house, like, while I was still in rehab. Um, you guys, uh, my church family, uh, were building a ramp, making sure that when I did get out, I would be able to get into my house. So um, I love you guys, and I thank you. Uh, you're awesome. Um, so that's my ramp going into my house. Um, this is my kids in rehab. They had to learn how to do wheelchair things too. <laughs> um, Grayson on my lap, and Aiden learned how to push me. Um, that's why I don't have handles on my, my wheelchair. I don't like to be pushed. <laughs> um, this is me and Grayson. And uh, one of my friends said that this was a telling picture of how, you know, my kids are just happy that they have me um, and that, you know, I didn't die. I'm still their dad and they still have me. That's my first wheelchair when uh, I got out of rehab and it was, it was orange. It got, it got warrantied out because it was crooked. Like the, the casters were crooked. So like one was like touching the ground and the other one was just kind of spinning. So, um, so that was covered under warranty. So I got this one. Uh, but I was excited to get my because they, they had me in one of the like a wheelchair that I couldn't do any tricks in and stuff. And now these are nice and I could do tricks, so I was excited. So 
Um, and there's one of those beach wheelchairs and Jeremy taking, making sure I get to the ocean. Yeah, this is, see, if, if you're, like, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair and it's harder to get places now, but my advice would be to invest in large friends that can carry you. <laughs> they can just carry you to wherever you need to go if you can't get there. And, uh, and I remember Jeremy doing that for me. Like, he, he carried me. He carried me into the pool and carried me to the beach and stuff that, that year. That was good. Uh, and there's me. That's in Florida. Uh, I'm on my dad's longboard. And that was, you know, my first time, like, on a surfboard after the accident. And I, and I rode a wave, like, all the way in. It was, like, the best wave of my life. I was so excited. Um, but, like, as soon as I got on the water, it was like being at home, you know. And it, and it was like I wasn't injured anymore because you're paddling on a surfboard. You don't really need your legs. And, um, and my upper body was a lot stronger than before because I had been using it so much. So it was, like, just, it was easy. It was like, you know, being at home again in the water. So I always feel at home when I'm in the ocean. Times. And then, oh, this is in Virginia Beach. This is an organization called Life Rolls On. They do events up and down the East Coast and West Coast for uh, people with disabilities to get in the water and go surfing. Um, and so they, the volunteers, they take you out and push you into a wave and, and let you go. And I, I caught like 100 waves in 30 minutes because like as soon as you come in, they push you right back out. You don't even have to paddle out. I'm just sitting there and they're, they're pushing me back out and pushing me into another wave. So it was a good time. I had a lot of fun, a lot of fun there. And this was... Um, about six months after my injury, see, I don't have my, my brace on anymore. And the, after this, I went to Shepherd in Atlanta, um, where I did some more rehab. Um, and this is uh, one of my goals was to do some standing rehab. Because six, six months after the injury, my body's healed. I'm getting my strength back, and I can learn things. And so uh, that's why I went to Shepherd to learn a lot of wheelchair tricks and different exercises and things to make me strong and make sure I could um, do different things. Uh, these standing leg braces, they're not practical to actually get up and walk around in. Um, they're just really good exercise for me. And plus I just, it's just fun to stand up. Um, I have some of my own now, uh, some custom made leg braces that lock and I use a walker and, um, and I can, uh, squeeze my obliques and lift up my hip and it lifts up my leg. And then I rotate it around and that's a step. And then I do that to the other side. So I'm, it's really a good core workout. And, like, after five steps, I'm sweating and out of breath, and I'm just... Because I used to make fun of people who told me that they were going for a walk for exercise. Like, walking is not exercise. It's just walking. And now, like, after five steps, I'm eating my own words, and I'm like, geez, this is really hard work. Uh, but, uh, and this thing is a, a para-golfer, and it, um, it's like a, a golf cart wheels on the front, and you can drive it like a, a power wheelchair. And then you get to your ball, and you push the button, and it stands you up, and you're strapped in, and you can swing. I've actually borrowed one of these from Richmond. Uh, there's a course in Richmond that owns one. And, I, uh, and I've gone to take some clinics there. The guy who actually invented this thing um, was there. And he can hit the ball like 300 yards. And he's in a wheelchair like me, uh, farther than most guys uh, I've seen hit a golf ball without a wheelchair. But, um, but he's given me some lessons. And so I've learned a little bit on, on how to swing. Because you can't rotate in that thing. You're strapped in. Uh, so it's just a whole different swing. But he's given me some tips to, to hit it good. And I borrowed that paragolfer that's in Richmond. And um, when I go to Esau, that's my uh, youth ministry retreat with a bunch of friends in ministry. And we go down there and we encourage one another and um, teach one another and we go golfing. And, uh, and I got to rent the one from here and take it with me and, and golf in it. So that's just awesome too. Um, like I just get in it and stand up. Like it's like, that's the best because, you know, just to stand up and look somebody in the eye, like I miss that. Like I, I didn't realize it until, you know, I stood up. I'm like, oh, look at this. And, um, and then you can you know, while you're golfing, you can go pee in the woods, which is like, that's, <laughs> that's the selling point for this thing. You know, these things aren't cheap, but, um, like they're trying to get the military to invest in these for, <laughs> that's, you're going to have to get to know me. I'm going to give you way too much information. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, I, I told them that that's how they should advertise these things to, uh, to people is that you can go stand up and pee. Like that's like, that's awesome. Uh, sorry. That's, I'm, are we okay? We're okay. Okay. Um, but anyways, this is some of my story. And, and I wanted to kind of go through this because, um, you know, when Fred called me yesterday, I, you know, it's, it's our story, God's story. So I, I wanted to kind of share my story and how it is God's story um, and how our story is God's story and how we're all connected in that. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll kind of get into the, the story here. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for who you are and how you love us, Lord, that you are always with us, uh, no matter what we're going through, Lord, that you uh, entered into our story, that you uh, entered into the suffering that we feel and you experienced it too, um, and that you hate it too, and you are doing something about it. God, you are a good God, and you are faithful, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
And so I wanted to tell you my story. And, um, and, and I think whether we realize it or not, all of our story starts and ends in God's story. Mm-hmm. Starts and ends in Scripture. And so um, his story is my story. My story is his story. Your story is God's story. Our story. It's all connected um, to God's story. And I think central to this story is that um, is this God who loves. Um, this God who is love. He loves so much that he creates more love. He creates beings capable of being loved and giving love. Um, this God who in his very essence is love. He is good. He is faithful. He is powerful. And he is all-knowing and his wisdom is beyond anything we can imagine. Um, it's beyond anything we can or think we know. Um, and, and all of these things that I just listed, God's goodness, faithfulness, love, um, I questioned in these last two years. Um, I questioned his love. I questioned his goodness. I questioned his faithfulness, his power. Um, I got into some pretty dark times where um, this was suffering for me. And I, in my rage and my helplessness and my anger and my pain, I screamed at God. I questioned God. I, I more than questioned him. I told him who he was. I told him I could do a better job at this, God. Um, you're not doing a very good job. Um, and so I, 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 I had some dark times, um, and, and we're going to get to that um, before uh, we get to my doubts and suffering. I, I just want to say that I, um, the story of God, if you, if you read um, the Bible, uh, the story of God's people, um, I think we see ourselves in the story. I mean, I mean um, the story of creation. You know, God speaks into the chaos, and he brings things together into order, and he says, this is good. I mean, that's my story, right? He spoke into my life. He brought good uh, into my life. Um, the story of Adam and Eve, right? The, uh, in the garden, um, I ate the fruit because it looked good and the snake told me to. Um, that's my story too, just like it's Adam and Eve's story. Um, we all find ourselves in these stories. My story is the story of the Exodus where God rescues me from uh, my own slavery, my own sin, and he leads me to the promised land, teaching me along the way to trust in him, even though even though I fail over and over again, just like the Israelites did. That's, that's my story there in that story. Uh, my story is David's story, where, where God allowed me to be a part of his kingdom, and yet I fell miserably over and over, kind of like David did. Um, my story is in the prophets shouting out for justice and seeking God's shalom, sometimes in tears. That's, that's my story. Uh, I find myself there sometimes. And it's your story, too. And it's not finished being written. My story is when God became flesh, Jesus walked to this earth, and he called a few friends to follow him. Uh, And there's this story um, where a group of friends that are determined that if they can just get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, that he will heal him. Um, Now, that story that I've I've known, you know, since before I was a paralytic um, has become a little bit different for me now. Even though uh, before I was paralyzed, there were times when friends needed to carry me to Jesus. There were times when I couldn't walk to Jesus, but I needed a friend to carry me to him. And so I'm going to read this story. Um, We're going to talk about some of my friends. Mark chapter 2. It says, When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were, there, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. You can forget, who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus understood uh, in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves, and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately he got up, picked up the mat, and went out out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Um, real friends do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus. 
Um, I hope you have friends like this, friends that won't let you stay away from Jesus, but constantly pull you closer to him. Um, in my life, I've had friends like this. It started with my grandma. Uh, my grandma was kind of the first uh, uh, Christian in our family, and she would uh, write me letters um, telling me about her, her newfound love for Jesus and how Jesus had changed her life and, and how she was praying for my life to be changed and the rest of our family to be changed. And, um, and uh, through her prayers, um, I did. I, I, I met Jesus, and, I, and I, my life was changed. Um, she carried me to Jesus. Uh, there was my friend Donnie, who, um, uh, who in high school, uh, my freshman year, he was a junior, so he's older and he could drive. He made sure that I got to church. He gave me rides to church whenever um, I needed them, whenever I didn't have one. Um, he took me to Christian concerts, and, and he was the first person that showed me Jesus. Like, like this is what Jesus looked like. Donnie was Jesus to me. Um, there was Jesse Kegg, my first youth minister, the reason I wanted to be a youth minister. Um, he was just awesome, and he baptized me. Um, and uh, and we had a, he, was, he was just a fun-loving guy, and kids just drawn to him. And, uh, and I had three youth ministers during my high school years, Jesse, um, then Chris Thomason, and then uh, Phil Cornegie. And all of these guys were guys that carried me to Jesus. They invested in this young punk kid uh, and made sure that I made it to Jesus. They did whatever it took. Um, there was my friend Damien who spoke into my life when I was in Bible college. My, my roommates, uh, Jeff and Sean, uh, this uh, guy, Terry Davis, who I, I did my internship under. He worked at the college and he believed in me and invested in me. Um, Robin, my wife, has carried me to Jesus quite often. Uh, Williamsburg Christian Church, you um, are the ones who have picked up my mat and carried me to Jesus quite often. Fred um, has carried me to Jesus. Dave Faith has carried me to Jesus. All of the shepherds uh, of Williamsburg Christian Church, they've carried me um, to Jesus. The students in the youth group, uh, past and present, have carried me to Jesus. Those uh, group of guys at Esau uh, that I go and spend time with every year, they've carried me to Jesus. And so this this story, this story about um, friends carrying another friend to Jesus um, is my story, not only because now I'm the paralytic, uh, but before my friends were always uh, there for me, carrying me to Jesus. And I hope you have friends like this, and I hope you are friends like this. I wonder if we can really call somebody a friend, whether uh, if we don't carry them to Jesus or if they don't carry us to Jesus. Um, and so, I, so I, I hear uh, and I read and I look at the stories in Scripture differently now. I have a different perspective a little bit. Um, and so this, this phrase when, when Jesus says, get up, you know, like to the paralytic, get up, take up your mat and walk. Um, this phrase, get up, it is happening right now in my life. I'm not, you know, getting up and walking, but I'm getting up um, every day in the morning. I am getting up and I am still on this journey with God. Um, and so this, this idea of this kingdom that Fred taught us about how it's, it's already not yet or already not fully here. The kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. Um, this, this phrase, get up, um, it's here, but it's not fully here. One day I will get up and walk and take my mat and go home uh, with Jesus. Um, so, so I see, I, the, I pick up on these phrases in Scripture, you know, these, these standing and walking phrases. And, and that's okay with me. Like, I'm not, like, angry at God. Like, why did you put stand up and walk when I can't stand up and walk in the Bible? Um, I, I joke about that a lot. I, make, I probably make people feel uncomfortable because I, I say jokes about me not walking, me being in a wheelchair before they can. Cause I, I wouldn't know how to, how to respond to me, you know, to somebody who was injured in a wheelchair. So I go ahead and make the joke first. And, and Robin catches me sometimes. Like, I'll be like... She'll be like, what are you? I was like, I just walked in. And, and she's like, you didn't walk in. I'm like, oh, yeah. But you just, you just speak like this. This is the language that we use. And, um, and you, I still talk like that, even though I don't walk in. <laughs> um, but there's a, there's a verse um, that kind of stuck out to me. And it's one, it's, it's a great, um, that, that I've always loved. But um, rereading it again from this perspective, different things um, kind of stuck out. It's in Jeremiah 31. I just wanted to share that with you. It says, um, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. I needed to hear that continued when I got injured because I wasn't sure anymore. Um, and, and that it used to be just the first part of this verse, that I have loved you with an everlasting love. Well, the second part of this verse is I have continued 
um, that love. And then it says, again, I will build you so that you will be rebuilt. Like just that language of being rebuilt. I'm broken. Um, my brokenness is a little more visible, uh, being that I'm in a wheelchair, than, than most of yours. We're all broken. Um, we all have the things within us that are weaknesses, things that uh, we carry along that maybe we should allow our friends to carry the burden with us, allow God to carry that burden with us. We all have something that we need to be rebuilt and um, and it just became a little more real to me when I have a body um, that will one day be rebuilt. It says, you will take up your tambourines again and go out in joyful dancing. You'll plant vineyards again on the mountains of Samaria. The planters will, uh, will plant and will enjoy the fruit. For there will be a day when the watchman will call out in the hill country of Ephraim. And here's the phrase, get up. Let's go up to Zion, to Yahweh, our God. So there will be that day when I hear the words get up and I will get up um, and I will go. Um, but, but we live in this place um, and, and I have come to this realization that suffering is. Suffering will happen. God doesn't promise to shelter us from it. In fact, following Jesus means more suffering, not less. Uh, when we follow Jesus, he says that you'll suffer uh, because of me in my name. But what we do when we suffer that's what reveals our beliefs, right? I think uh, sometimes in our culture we get this idea that belief is something that we hide in here or in here. That, like our beliefs are our beliefs. What our beliefs are are, are the actions. The actions that we do reveals what we believe. That's what we really believe is, is what we see each other do, how we live our lives. That's what is really our beliefs. And so... Um, I knew suffering. I knew about suffering. I had walked with people as a minister, as a counselor, as a friend through suffering. But when this suffering hit me personally, um, that's when my faith had to get real. Um, it had to become real. And, and I was forced to get to the core of, of what life really was, what I really thought about God, who God really was, and what suffering was all about. Um, and, and I'm not saying that my suffering has anything to do with following Jesus. I think this is just the suffering that everybody gets, whether you're a Christian or not. Um, you know, and then there's the following Jesus, you're going to suffer because of Jesus. This is um, just suffering that's common to man because we live in a broken world. I mean, the existence of suffering is simply because we live in this fallen, broken world. Um, and that's, that's, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's not simple to accept. It's not simple to understand. Um, and this doesn't mean that God is uh, less good or less strong because suffering exists. Um, he is not happy about suffering either. Uh, but his love means that he can't change us into robots um, in order to stop the pain that we cause each other. Right? He loves us too much to turn us into robots. And when there is no good reason for pain and suffering, we search for that reason. We search for why this happened. We want a reason. We want a purpose for the pain or a meaning in the tragedy. And we want answers for why and how God will come out uh, of this and, and make this good or, or why God couldn't change this or why God uh, didn't do something else instead. And we, we search for reason. We search for justice. And we can't always find it. Now, that doesn't mean it's not there because God is and works beyond our understanding. But a better way to respond in pain and in suffering uh, is, to admit that we're, is to admit that we are not in control. Um, and that's what faith is. It's admitting we're not in control and we have to have faith. Uh, faith in God. And, and we have to admit that we have no clue how to make sense out of the suffering and how to find uh, good in suffering. And the rest, the, the rest is resting in his promise. Resting in the promise that God is good, and that he will redeem this and make good from it. Just like in creation, he spoke into the chaos, made order, and he calls it good. And God still does that, right? God still creates. God still creates in us and creates our life and wants us to follow and walk with him and so that we can call it good. And so this suffering, um, I came to know suffering on March 6, 2011. And, um, and there, this was a day of pain. <laughs> like I said, I was on the way home from church. My car needed new tires, not as much tread, I guess, as should have been on them to deal with the amount of water that was on the road. So my car hydroplaned. And, uh, and, if you know what hydroplane, it's like the thin layer of water between the tire uh, and the road so that you're just slipping across the water, like surfing, like skimboarding. Um, and so as I lost control, I, I remember, like I was awake the whole time, I remember trying to regain control, realizing that I couldn't regain control. I remember thinking, should I reach for my seatbelt? I, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. 
which I don't recommend, <laughs> um, you should wear seatbelts. Um, I remember thinking, should I reach for my seatbelt real quick and try to put it on? I mean, this was all like, it was slow motion, you know, as, as, I'm, as I'm spinning out um, towards the median. And I enter the median backwards um, and make impact. Um, uh, the trunk hit first and flipped my car up. And I think that's where I broke my back. Um, it's just the impact backwards. Um, and if you're going to not wear your seatbelt, you need to make impact backwards <laughs> or it'll go flying through the windshield. Um, so, um, so I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, which um, ended up being okay since I made impact backwards, which broke my back. I f- my car flipped up, uh, up and you saw the uh, – can we put that picture up again? You saw where the tree went across the roof. Uh, my car flipped up and, and hit a tree on the roof. You can see like right there at the driver's side window all the way to the back. Now, if, if I had been wearing a seatbelt, it would have held me right there where the tree hit, and the tree would have probably killed me. Um, this is one of those rare, you know, one in a million. The paramedic actually said um, uh, to, to a friend of mine who was also a paramedic, it said that if I was wearing a seatbelt, this is like one of those one in a million times that um, I would have, it would have killed me rather than not wearing the seatbelt, saved my life. Um, so as I, as I hit, I was, you know, I hit into the seat and I was thrown this way into the passenger seat, kind of in the fetal position as I'm screaming like a little girl. Uh, uh, the, like I remember everything in slow motion and silent as I slid, and then when everything hit, it was just like loud. The airbags went off, the, all the windows broke, um, just boom, 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 boom. And then everything comes to a stop. I'm back on four wheels, and it's raining on me through the sunroof. Like I said, I'm laying in the passenger seat. And the adrenaline, you know, from that is immediately you need to get out of the car like I'm trying to get out. And I'll, I don't know if you've tried to climb out of a car with a spinal cord injury and broken ribs, but it's not possible. <laughs> um, so I tried, like I, I immediately like reached for the window to try to climb out. And, um, and I, I didn't succeed, so I figured I'd just rest there until somebody came to help. Um, now, Robin was three cars behind me this day. And, and you think of the tragedy, but, but I also think of the little miracles that, um, where it could have been worse, but God made it so that it wasn't. Um, Robin was three cars behind me because we both drove separate that day. It was a day when my mom was in town uh, for Grayson's birthday, and so the kids stayed home with her. I had to be at church early because I was, uh, had to be on praise team that morning. And then Robin drove separately. And so, um, so usually a church day, we'd all be in one car, uh, our whole family, and that would have been our whole family. Um, it was just me alone in the car. Um, and Robin didn't know it was me at first, three cars behind. There was a similar car to mine near us, and so it could have been that one. But as, as the wreck happened, people just kind of pulled off to the side. This is her telling me these, these events. I didn't know. But um, the first person I saw at my window was Robin. Um, she said as she walked up to the car, she saw um, our car seats, our kids' car seats in the road. Um, they had been thrown from the windows, and, um, and that's when she knew it was me. And so I'm laying there in the seat, and she comes to the passenger window. And, and I didn't have—I wasn't all bloody, which was good. Um, I just had a, I had a cut here by my ear and a cut um, on my hand, and everything else was internal, like broken ribs and broken back. So um, she's there, and did you call the paramedic, or did somebody else call? So somebody else calls the paramedic. And I'm awake this whole time. It's like it's raining on me through the broken sunroof, and my radio is still turned up really loud, <laughs> and my car is still on. I remember people reaching in the car to try to turn it off because it was still in drive. It could move or something. I don't know. Um, and so uh, I remember them getting me out of the car. Finally, the paramedics got there and put me on a these hard rubber stretchers. Like I don't know why they don't pad those things because when you got a broken back and you're on a a hard rubber stretcher that's not that's not pleasant um and so i'm in the back of a bumpy uh ambulance for 45 minutes on the way to mcv um and so they 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 close the doors of the ambulance and tell robin we're going to williamsburg and then when they close the door they're like oh you can't feel your legs we need to go to mcv because they have a trauma unit there and that's where we need to go um so i guess all of you got like all you williamsburg people got the call and went to the Williamsburg Centera Hospital, and I was already on my way to, to Richmond. So that, took, that was some confusion there. Um, but this day, I, I remember it being just the worst pain I could ever imagine feeling. Um, and they wouldn't give me pain meds because they had to wait for the neurosurgeon to figure out where the injury was. And so I was just in a lot of pain. And I remember, like, moaning. Like, like I, I was in so much pain I couldn't be quiet. And I thought, like, that would be weird if you're in the emergency room that day and you just hear this guy, oh. And, and they kept trying to get me to talk, I guess trying to keep me awake or 
you know, they were asking me questions, you know, and all this stuff. I was trying to answer. I was like, it hurts. Stop asking me questions. Um, so, but, um, but this is where, um, in, in all this pain, before uh, they gave me pain medications, they were sending me for x-rays and for MRIs and for CAT scans. And I had this moment in the MRI machine. And if you've been in the MRI machine, it's really loud and claustrophobic. And, and I'm in there moaning. And, um, and, the, um, and, and I had um, what I call a Holy Spirit moment. Um, I don't know um, if I'm paralyzed permanently. I don't know what my life's going to be like. I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to live past today. You know, I'm just in so much pain. I don't know what's going on. And I heard God speak, um, and he spoke to me the words of John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I have come to give life and give it to the full, give, give you life into the abundance. And so I, I heard the Holy Spirit say this to me, just say, this is still going to be life, and it's still going to be the abundant life that Jesus talked about, that Jesus promised. And so, um, so with that came this, like, this you know, unexplainable peace uh, with that. So, so I heard these words, and I felt this peace. And... Um, and I was okay. And then after that, finally, when I got the pain medication, I don't remember for like three days because uh, <laughs> the, the pain meds made me loopy. Um, but I had that surgery uh, and, uh, and went through recovery. Now, um, this, uh, this piece uh, that God gave me there, um, like, like I, you know, I can't explain that. Like I used to hear other people's stories about how God spoke to them and you know, in, in an audible voice, and I just never experienced that. Um, and so, like, I, I can't explain this other than it's exactly what God knew I needed um, right in that moment. Um, I spent a, a week in recovery uh, doing nothing, you know, just letting my body heal. And then they took me down to rehab, which is in the, the lower part of the hospital. Um, and I spent three weeks in rehab. Um, in rehab, I, I like to compare that to church uh, because in rehab, you're surrounded by people. Like all the people there are there to make you better, like to get you to learn uh, to take care of yourself and to do the things you need to do in this, in this new life, this new disability that you're learning to live with. And so, um, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the physical therapists, all of them um, helping me get better. And then you're surrounded by others who are kind of in, in the same situation, uh, and people are helping each other, and then the, the the place is just made for you in your wheelchair. Like it's all flat, the doors open automatically, uh, the beds raise and lower so you can get in and out of them. Um, so everything in, in rehab was good. Like like I was just surrounded by people who uh, wanted to make me better, and 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 that's why I say it, it was like the church. Like when when we're with each other, that's why God gave us the church to make each other better, to share each other's burdens, to to encourage one another to teach each other and to equip each other how to live this new kingdom life that we all find ourselves in. And so um, when I came home from rehab, um, I was in a place not designed for wheelchairs. I found doors that I couldn't fit through. I came to steps that I couldn't get down or go up, um, and things were more difficult. And so in rehab, there was no um, depression. There was no uh, bad thoughts. I was good in rehab. At home is where kind of the darkness started to set in, and I had um, I had some more difficult times. I, my body was still healing, so I didn't have a lot of energy, so I spent a lot of time in bed. Um, I remember coming to church um, those early weeks, months after my injury, and going home right after church to go lay down because I was wore out, exhausted. My body was still working to heal. Um, and I remember like hearing other people about what they were going to do for the rest of the day and being jealous because I wanted to go do that, but now I can't because I'm in a wheelchair. Now I can't because I don't have any energy. Um, and so like I would go home and have these thoughts, and I would just get lost in my mind because I'm an introvert, and introverts just think about things in circles over and over again. And, um, and this wasn't healthy for me because I would go to dark places. I knew enough about the Bible where I'd, I would pull things out of uh, my Bible knowledge um, and use them to twist in my anger uh, would get t- turned toward God, um, and I would um, allow myself into these dark places. Well, um, as as I as Fred walked with walked with me through this, uh, me and Fred would meet and we would talk about my state of mind, my ministry, you know how things were going to be. Um, I, t- I told Fred about these these dark times, and, and um, he gave me some good advice that I needed a trigger, something to snap me out of when I'm heading in that direction, down that spiral towards depression. Uh, and he and what I chose as my trigger was the incarnation. All right, um, God became flesh. Right, God went from 
God in heaven to crying helpless baby. Um, and from my new perspective, that was God disabling himself for me. And you think about the, the jump from disability to disability. God went from God in heaven to crying helpless baby. That's a huge disability compared to walking to not walking. <laughs> you know, like, like that's just a little bit uh, for me. But for me, that thought that I came up with before I got in the situation of uh, my dark thoughts, um, I could, when I found myself spiraling into those thoughts, I could use this and it would snap me out of it. God disabled himself for me. Um, and that would clear my mind and that would get me back on track to the thoughts, you know, the good thoughts that God wants you thinking about. Um, uh this God that disabled himself for us, this is a God who entered into our suffering. This is what separates our deity from other world religions. We have a God that is not exempt from suffering, right? He entered in and experienced and felt the same pain we feel. Um, and he did that because he loves us. Um, and I think that's what changes everything for me, um, this, this God is not exempt from suffering. He feels it, too. He hates suffering, too. And this is a God who is doing something about it, right? He came, he entered, he felt it, and he is doing something to make it go away. He is here fixing the problem right now. It's this kingdom idea of already, not yet. He's already fixing the problem. We are already a part of this kingdom, but this kingdom has not fully come yet. We have a job to do in working with him in this mission in this kingdom. And so, um, so I, I, I would think about Job. And so I, I read the book of Job. If you know the story of Job, Job is this guy who, um, who was pretty well off. He, had, he was rich uh, by his world standards. He owned lots of cattle, which makes you rich in that day. I don't know. Um, but he, so, so he had all this stuff. Um, he had great family. Everything was good for Job. Well, Job um, lost everything. Uh, the the his cattle gone, his riches gone, his family, uh, some of his family died, and so he's struggling and mourning, and then uh, he's afflicted with these painful sores all over his body. So Job, uh, we find Job in this situation where he's just in this grief, where he's lost everything. Like you know, you're just in this shock of of uh, suffering, and he's got a piece of pottery and he's scraping at his skin because it's so painful. These sores, um, just trying to get some relief from these sores. And the book of Job is this discourse between Job and his friends about um, his friends giving him advice and Job responding to that advice. And they're giving him bad advice, as we find out later in the, in the book when God um, shows up to speak. Now, now, as I think the only right human reaction to suffering is to sometimes we get to the point where we're just at a loss. We don't know what to do. And we ask, why, God? Why? Um, and that's, that's a human response. That's okay. I think God can take that. And so Job questions God. Like I said, I questioned God. I did more than question God. I was sinful in my, uh, in my attitude towards God during those dark times. But, I, but in chapter 38, after all this discourse between Job and his friends, we get to God speaks up. God joins the conversation. Uh, so through all of this, all of this suffering that Job's in and all of this advice given by his friends, and all this questioning that Job is doing, God shows up, and what does God do? He asks questions, right? You would think he would come with an answer, right? You would think he would come, and, and in my anger, I thought, God, why, why are you giving Job more questions? Like, do you not have an answer, God? Are you not that strong that you would think of an answer for Job? Um, but I think if you read these questions, you see that he is answering Job with grace and reminding Job who he is and how he is on his side. Um, I'm going to read through some of this, and this is just for, like from this goes on for four chapters. God just describing things and asking Job questions, and I think it's just beautiful describing God's power and um, how much God uh, loves Job. And so, I'm just going to read some of this. This is Job, uh, chapter 38. It says, "Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it?" What supports its foundations, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? 
when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no farther. Your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place? Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of, the, of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the road to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives so you, so you can lead it back to its border? Are you familiar with the paths to its home? Don't you know? You were already born. You have lived so long. <laughs> have you entered the place where the snow is stored? Have you seen the storehouses of hail? Can you command the clouds so that the flood water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do they report to you? Here we are. So there's something when God responds to Job after all of Job's suffering and Job's questioning, God responds like this. And how does, how does Job respond to, to God when God just plasters him with these questions? Job covers his mouth and says, I spoke once, but I dare not speak again. And there's wisdom in Job's response there. Um, when we go through suffering and we question God and we, uh, and we strike out against God and God comes to us with these questions, reveals himself to us, reminds us that he is on our side. Job says, covers his mouth, says, I dare not speak again. And then we come to uh, chapter 42 of Job. And, um, and this is what I pray uh, will be all of our responses. I feel this happening in my life, and I, and I hope it, it happens in yours if you ever have to face suffering. But hopefully you don't have to go through suffering to um, realize uh, what Job realizes here in, in Job chapter 42. Um, after all of this uh, t- questions from God um, and Job's response, uh, he gets to this in Job chapter 42. He says this to God. He says, I, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who, who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. In verse 5, here it is. I heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. This, this suffering brought Job to a different place. Verse 6, he says, therefore I take back my words, and I repent in dust. And ashes. Now, I hope you can see God with your own eyes. Um, I don't think that, that what I learned about God before my suffering was rumors. Like, like I learned about God through his word. This is true. This isn't a rumor. Um, but I think that through my suffering, through my wrestling with God and my questions for God and my yelling at God and him being able to take it and him being heartbroken with me and walking with me through that, I think I have seen God with my own eyes. Um, and that's my prayer for you as well, and hopefully without uh, walking through suffering personally. Um, I'm beginning to see my life now in two parts. You know, I had that, um, that 30 years um, of using my legs, and now I'm two years into a life uh, without using my legs. Uh, and there's this verse uh, at the end of Job there in uh, verse 12. He says, it says, So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. And, uh, and as you saw from the pictures of me and my family, as you saw from the rehab that I've been through and the, and the progress I've made just in becoming independent and being able to do life in a wheelchair, um, to the promises that God still has for me. One day he's going to say, get up, and I will. Um, the Lord blessed the last part of my life more than the first. Um, so I've learned to let my friends carry me <laughs> sometimes. I... I uh, I, I used to think that I was okay with that. I used to think that I wasn't so proud that I wouldn't let people help me or carry my burdens with me. Um, but being in this situation uh, awakened me to how I did struggle with that. I did struggle with asking for help. I did struggle with saying that I needed um, somebody else to help me. Um, but now I'm learning, and I'm still learning um, in this new life, uh, how to ask for help and how to do this new life. But um, here I am uh, asking you uh, for help right now because um, I'm okay with that. I can ask you for help. Um, I need your help um, to remind me uh, of who God is. 
sometimes. I need your help to carry me to Jesus sometimes when I can't get there myself. And I promise that I will do the same for you. I need your help um, to do your part of work in this kingdom, and I will do my part. I see that my role has changed sometimes in, in this kingdom work. Like where I used to be climbing on roofs in Mexico and nailing shingles down, I, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> That's not my role in the kingdom, so maybe some of you might have to pick up the slack there. Maybe some of you have to pick up the slack that you've been slacking off on yourself. Um, I love uh, investing in the discipleship of teens and youth and, um, and making disciples. That's, um, that's what I think my role is in the kingdom, and I can still do that. Like, that's uh, a blessing to me. Um, what I'm asking is that you all do it too, whatever that is. Whatever that is in, in your uh, calling, whatever it is that God has blessed you with, in this kingdom to be a part of, that you do your part. Um, last summer, I, I baptized Travis Pine. I don't know. Some of you may, may have met Travis. He was here for a few months. Um, he moved here. He came here all by himself. Um, uh, he was a high school kid, played football, big guy. Um, he lived here for a few months and then moved back to Washington State. And so I only got to know him briefly. But while he was here, he wanted to get baptized. And we talked. And um, this kid had an amazing faith. Um, and it was a really cool relationship that... Uh, I got to know him briefly. So he wanted to be baptized, and um, he wanted me to baptize him. I was like, I don't know if I can do that. I've never done that since I've been in a wheelchair. Um, but Fred had already thought about that. See, my friends had already been thinking about how, how's Gary going to do this, these things, you know, like even before I'm thinking about how I'm going to do them. Um, so here's how it was done. We went down to Jamestown Beach. Travis, big football player kid, picked me up out of my wheelchair, carried me into the water, uh, Put me down. I, I leaned back against Fred for leverage because if I would have tried to pick him up, I would have just pulled myself over. I don't have, you know, the stability. Um, so I leaned against Fred and I and I baptized Travis. Um, and then Travis picked me up and put me back in my wheelchair. Um, and so there's this, um, you know, I have to do things differently now. There, there are some things I, I can't do on my own. I have to ask for help. Um, but luckily, there's guys like Jeremy who can put me on his back and take me into the ocean uh, or down to the river. Um, and so, um, so, so I'm learning to do things differently. And, and maybe some of you guys are, are struggling, maybe suffering um, with things that aren't so visible. Uh, maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's um, something that you've been hiding. Um, you've got to ask your friends to help you carry you to Jesus. It's got, you've got to be okay with that. You've got to be okay with asking for help. So, so seeking his kingdom now for me is, is, uh, is, is slightly different. Um, I've, I've got a slightly different role, and God is always moving me forward. Like we're always on this this journey with God, and so I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with Matthew six thirty one through thirty four. It says this. It says, "So don't worry, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear, for for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them." But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So suffering will come. God is a God who knows that suffering, and he'll walk with you through it. Um, don't be afraid to let your friends carry you to Jesus. Let's pray.